Speaker, I rise today in opposition to H.R. 1. And I've always found it interesting that elections are the one thing my colleagues on the other side don't want to strictly regulate. See, there's this mythology amongst Democrats that common sense rules in an election are synonymous with voter suppression. They make it sound like you have to go through an obstacle course to go vote. This isn't true. It's nonsense and everybody knows it. Truth is that four out of five Americans support voter ID laws. And countless Americans have expressed concern because they receive mail-in ballots for other people addressed to their homes. They want this fixed and they don't want the problem to get worse. This bill makes elections less trustworthy, not more. And trust is everything. When people can see the faults in the process, whether it's ballots at the wrong house or careless verification processes, they believe people are cheating. You can't just dismiss that. We have to fix it. But instead, this bill makes permanent the problematic election practices that cause distrust. For example, ballot harvesting, which creates serious chain of custody issues. Universal mail-in voting without safeguards, which creates the kind of chaos where your ballot ends up in somebody else's hands. Or forcing states to disregard their own voter ID laws and use sworn statements instead of an ID. The integrity of our elections must be self-evident. Wherein the mere possibility of fraud is improbable because the process itself is airtight and secure. Many states do not meet this standard. We should be working together to make elections more secure, not less. And if that is indeed our mutual goal, and I pray that it is, I implore my colleagues to work with us. step that the Democrats take, whether in legislation or in this administration, is meant to have more illegal immigration. So we want completely different things here. And this is a very sharp left turn for the Democrat Party over the last 10 years. It's very unfortunate. Look, there is a crisis on the border. Now, now Biden may not actually like that, right? They, they might want a more steady... Uh, even-handed flow over the next few years, but there's a crisis. Thousands of people. I was just down there last weekend. Uh, our Border Patrol is overwhelmed, and the fact that they're overwhelmed processing people, being bus drivers, being daycare workers, guess who has to foot the bill for this? Texans. You know, we're, since we're on the topic of Texas, Texas DPS spends hundreds of millions of dollars a year trying to secure our border because while Border Patrol is taken off the line, they can't patrol the border anymore because they have to deal with hundreds and hundreds of people bringing their kids across the river. Well, then Texas DPS has to actually patrol the river. Um, they have to get in helicopters and patrol there. They have to go after drug smugglers. Uh, they had 600 pursuits in just in just one area um, over the over the course of last year. These are really dangerous times for them. Uh, so I actually just introduced a bill that would pay Texas. It's a bipartisan bill, by the way, that would pay Texas back for the billions of dollars that we have spent on border operations that are a federal responsibility. Mr. Speaker, if we lose the Second Amendment, then the first will fall. I want to remind my colleagues of a simple fact that is far too often swept under the rug by the left. Americans have a right to obtain a firearm for lawful purposes. I'll say it again louder for those on the left sleeping in the back. Americans have a right to obtain firearms. This is my right, and Mr. Speaker, this is your right. But let me be clear to everyone in this chamber. You will not take this right away from us. I know it's easy to be sucked into the DC bubble, but outside of here, in real America, when we say come and take it, we damn well mean it. This bill would unconstitutionally place the burden of proof for firearm pur purchases and transfers on American citizens instead of placing the burden firmly where it belongs on the shoulders of the government. But let us be clear, 
The left is not here today to debate this bill, nor are they here to legislate in the best interest of the American people. They are here to shove it down our throats. My colleagues and I on the right have been called here to defend one of our most sacred rights. Because you, Mr. Speaker, think that the Constitution is just another piece of paper to tear down the middle of and toss aside. I speak for millions of Americans. I specifically speak for 700,000 plus Americans in my district. When I say that if you think this bastardization of the Constitution will be met with silence, then you know nothing of the America I know. You want my guns. I know it. We all know it. Well, Mr. Speaker, you could come and take them. All right. Welcome back to the Point B Podcast. We're on episode 27 now. We've got a lot of audio to play for you today, and so I'm going to get into it real quick, um, but not before I talk to you about Black Rifle Coffee, www.blackriflecoffee.com. Today, I am sipping on their coffee or die roast, which is, I've tried it before, but I've never really, I don't know, paid attention to it, I guess. It's just one one of those bags I happened to get in, and I drank it super fast, and I never thought about it again. So, um, I happened to get this one. And it's not my absolute favorite. So if you want to go to their website, check out the bag. It's worth going to their website just to to take a look at their genius branding. They're branding geniuses. I love it. Um, Anyways, this is a medium roast. It is not my favorite. Um, My favorite still being, um, what is it? Uh, Five Alarm. Just Black is, you know, can't go wrong with that one. Uh, AK, Silencer Smooth, all, all those that I've mentioned before, I love them. Five Alarm being my absolute favorite so far. This one's pretty good. As much as it doesn't stack up against my favorites from Black Rifle, it is still a million times better, a million times fresher. And yes, a million times more freedom-loving, gun-loving, America-loving than anything you're going to buy at the grocery store. So check them out. Also check out their subscription, of course. Uh, You can set up your monthly delivery, bi-monthly, twice a month, however many bags. You change it right before your next delivery. They send you that handy little email. And uh, that way you can try all their different different flavors and figure out what what, what kind of a coffee drinker are you. Are you more of a, a light blonde type roast? Do you like the medium or do you like the, the dark? Uh, like that, that one from Bison Union that I brought on the show a few episodes ago. Their slogan was, you know, strong enough to float a horseshoe. I'm not necessarily on board with going that strong. I will say that drinking that Bison <laughs> Union, um, well, how do I, how do I phrase this? My stomach was a little bit aggressive <laughs> and uh lots of trips to the bathroom and i'll leave it there so uh that was not my cup of tea uh well, a cup of coffee but might be yours so try it out you're never going to know until you try them out blackriflecoffee.com check out the different rows check out the subscription and then uh once you're done with that or maybe even before i don't know priorities anyways jump over to instagram at cross and musket and check out our apparel line we got three Really cool designs. I'll let you take a look at them and uh, let me know what you think by picking one out and buying it. Right now, uh, we're not bringing in this money. It's not paying any bills or anything like that. Everything everything that comes from the sales of those t-shirts, well, 10% is going to go to a local charity that we will talk about in the show one of these days. But uh, the other thing is all that money is just going to go into the podcast. You know, I can get some better microphones where I don't sound like a, a nasally uh, prepubescent, <laughs> uh, whatever. Um, 
uh, better storage devices, more coffee, and, the, and just all the type of stuff that comes with growing and expanding a podcast. This week was huge for downloads. I don't know what you guys are doing, but it's awesome. It's encouraging, and I appreciate it. So before I, I get into the topics for today, uh, I will encourage you to just keep looking out for our new episode posts. We're going to be coming out with some original content, some videos, and everything's going to be Point B Podcast. Everything's going to be a Friday Debrief. And of course, as you will see, uh, you were the first to hear that we're going to be having these single topic videos coming out that I talked about last episode, and they are going to be branded with Conservative Debrief, an extension of the Friday Debrief. And we're really going to focus on some factual things there. I'm going to I'm going to push back on people on the right. I'm going to call out hypocrisy on the left, and I'm going to play the media at their own game and um, use this technology that all of us have now. If you own an, an iPhone or an iPad or a MacBook or any of those other crappy devices that aren't Apple, uh, just kidding. Um, the technology that we have right now, we can compete with CNN, MSNBC, just from our homes with a, with 500 bucks worth of equipment on top of a phone or an iPad, which, you know, a couple hundred bucks there, you can compete with CNN and it's beautiful. So we're going to grow this thing. We're going to keep spreading the word about conservative ideas and values and the, the, the value that comes from having differences of opinion and discussing them rather than silencing them. So that is our mission statement. Anyways, moving on, I want to talk to you about those audio clips. Dan Crenshaw, first of all, I just want to say Dan Crenshaw 2024. You know, Donald Trump, cool, whatever. He's teasing that he's going to run again. Um, fine, fine, whatever. Um, Dan Crenshaw, I want this dude in the White House because he's one of the first Republicans I've seen who one is not obsessed with himself. He's not obsessed with being in front of a camera. He's not obsessed with his ideas. He's the only Republican I'm seeing right now who is accurately portraying our um our beliefs, our values, not just saying, well, this guy was wrong because excuse me. Because he said this and I don't like that, you know, he he called out another Republican or whatever. You know, it, there's just so much back and back back and forth personal attacks. Whereas Dan Crenshaw just says, screw all that. Let's talk about the facts of what's happening and why it makes sense for us to be united about this issue. I, 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 I don't see anybody else reaching out to, to all Americans, not just people who voted for him. He's, he's literally reaching out to just the average voter with logic and with compassion and empathy behind his words. And, um, you know, he recorded a video, this is off topic, but he recorded a video uh, of himself going down to the border and well, maybe not off topic. It's, it's one of the videos I just played <laughs> the audio, but um, anyways, he, he did a good job of pointing out with video, like facts. Okay. Here's something I saw. And this is why this flies in the face of what Democrat leaders are trying to push out to their voters and what media is trying to to spin these these issues and make it seem like we're so divided on it because these democrat leaders are so opposed to anything that might come out of a right-leaning think tank and anyways I'll, I'll move on um i just think dan crenshaw is a fantastic leader 
and uh, obviously he's, he's a veteran and he he appeals to a younger generation while using logic that makes sense to an older generation it's beautiful it's a beautiful thing so going into the audio he talked about voter id and how these voter id laws make us all feel make us all feel comfortable um i'm trying to th- what is a good if you're going to go into any sort of a convention whether it's political or for work for the health industry whatever one of the first things that you have to make sure you bring with you is identification right you got to prove that you are who you are and that you are showing up and representing yourself and that you're not that you you're supposed to be there you know um and we've we've seen this hypocrisy i don't understand how it hasn't gotten into the mainstream but you, you got to present voter ID to get into the White House, not voter ID, some form of ID to get into the White House. You've got to present some form of ID to get into the Democrat National Convention. If you want to go anywhere nowadays, you've got to have your ID on you. How is that oppressive? And I think Dan Crenshaw was great uh, at saying that we're not asking people to jump through all these hoops to go vote. It's literally one thing. Just one thing. Bring your ID. It's not that hard. And at what point is the left saying, you know, we're doing all these things because we want we don't want it to make dif- make it difficult for minorities to to vote. How is that not a racist statement in and of itself? I, there's that video um, of Biden talking about uh, minorities are aren't able to to locate vaccination centers and and locate COVID nineteen information and all this stuff. And it, 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 there's a TV hung on the wall and Biden's talking, saying all this stuff about minorities. And there's this black dude on the ground and he's just like running around a laptop like he's like a gorilla or something and basically saying like, we're not freaking animals. Like we are intelligent human beings. We can figure this stuff out just as well as you can. And and I think that that's a fantastic point. At what point is it racist to say, well, we need to make it easier for minorities than, than it is for white people because what are they not? educated enough? Are they, are they not able to, are they, I, I don't understand. Anyways, I think that, that that's a fantastic point, but back to, to Dan Crenshaw talking about voter security, these voter ID laws make us all feel comfortable with the process. And that is extremely important because if you're not confident in the process and in the security of the process, why vote? If there's no security, there's no election security, it cheapens the whole process because you know, one of the things they want to do is automatic voter registration where, you know, everybody's registered to vote. We're all in there. It cheapens the process. Voting is a right. Some would call it a responsibility, but it is very much more a right than a responsibility. I believe we are given this right that we have the the choice to use it or not. And it's something very precious. It's something that people throughout the world do not have. And it is something very unique to our country that people have fought and died for. And I, and I would compare it to something like chocolate. If, you, if, you, if you've probably seen plenty of movies where they, the historical pieces where they're talking about chocolate and chocolate was this amazing thing. Like, oh, if you had this thing called chocolate and it was this commodity, it was such a, a precious thing back then. But now you go to the grocery store and within four feet of shelf, you've got a hundred different variations of chocolate from you know, milk chocolate, super cheap. And then you get the, the dark chocolates, the percentages of purity and all this stuff. And by the way, I can't stand that crap. My mom eats like that. 
I don't know if it's 100%, but it's like one of those higher percentage dark chocolates. And it's like biting into, I don't even know what to compare it to because it's not sweet. It's just bitter. Um, anyways, <laughs> off topic. But nowadays, chocolate is so easy to come across that it doesn't carry the same value. It's been cheapened compared to what it was back then when it was tougher to get. Neither good nor bad. That's just how things are. But if you flip that over to the voting process, if voting becomes just something that everybody does, it's cheapened. And I don't think that that's the route we need to take. Voting should not be something as everyday as um, just getting in your car. You know, it's not the same thing. It is something that not not saying that everybody does this, but it is something that you should be reading about and researching and really diving into who are these people I'm going to vote for and or not vote for. And it's not just something that you wake up one morning like, oh, crap, today's election day. I need to go vote. Like, it's just not it's not the same thing. Um, and this it brings about another another point in that this is just a, yet another situation where the left and this is not bad. I want to I want to phrase it correctly, this is not a bad thing, but the left Democrats are concerned about the optics of making things look fair. They're very concerned with fairness. They're very concerned with, well, I want to make sure that, you know, this guy can go vote, but why didn't you vote? Why can't you vote? And let's fix that problem. And let's make sure that you are able to go vote. But there's a point where they're trying to make it so easy for everybody to vote People still are, if, if you haven't voted yet, it's not that it's so hard to vote right now. If you want to vote, you're going to go vote. If they told you that, hey, if you go vote, we're going to give you a hundred bucks. You damn well be- better believe that a bunch of people are getting their asses and their cars are on a bike or they're going to walk to go vote and get that hundred bucks. So it's not that it's impossible for them to do. It's just a matter of where do people place their value? And one of the, the things that comes ab- about with making the process secure would be the fact that, okay, my vote really does matter. Whereas right now, there's a large portion of the country, I'm not necessarily there yet. I haven't, I feel like there's more evidence that needs to come out. But if you believe the last election was unfair, or at least there were statistical anomalies that should be looked into, but you're being told to shut up about it. And if you, if you dare have the idea in your head that, well, maybe we should look at it. Maybe it wasn't 100% fraud free. Has any election ever been fraud-free? No. And that's a problem when we live in the age of technology. We should fix these problems, not just accept that there's a certain margin of error. I'm not comfortable with that. We have this technology. I want to say that our elections are 100% fair. That's how it should be. But while the left is concerned about the fairness and the optics of things, the right is worried about the security side of it. And I think that both are equally important. People should know why their vote matters, but at the same time, they should be able to believe that their vote matters. And one of the foundational principles of believing that your vote counted is believing that there wasn't some fraudulent vote out there that canceled it out, because that's what it is. If I voted for Biden, and then I find out that there's a Trump official that was ballot harvesting and printing ballots, and now there's this stack of ballots that were never mailed in. They're just completely completely flat, no creases, perfectly filled in circles, almost as if they were printed. Um, and so my vote for Biden now was canceled out by a computer voting for Trump or whatever it was. 
somebody voting not in their own state. There's been uh, Steven Crowder has been doing some insane leg work, uh, not <laughs> leg work, not in the gym, footwork of getting his people out into the streets in Michigan, Nevada. I think he did some in Florida where they're actually that you can pull down the voter rolls and see, okay, who voted? What's their address? Go to that address. And what they're finding is all of these addresses or these votes. And I'm not talking like thousands or millions. They're, they're a handful of people. So they're going one house at a time and they found just in their quick work of trying to find some anomalies, they found empty parking lots. They found construction sites. They found address numbers that, you know, there's a house that goes from 210 to 214. And on the ballot, it says 212. There is no 212. So something is up there. So as, as much as you want to say voting is important, uh, we want to make it easy for you to go vote. If you can't also back that up with, we're making sure that your vote is secure. Who's going to do it? Right? The right is worried about security. So whatever we decide on how to proceed, we can at least be confident in the security of the process. You know, whatever result comes about can be trusted because the process is secure. If people decide to elect Joe Biden, cool. I can at least sleep at, sleep at night knowing that the process worked as it should. And in four years, maybe we'll change our minds. It's an important thing. Moving on. I'm, t- I'm spending too much time on one topic. Border crisis. Uh, Crenshaw talked about the border crisis as a humanitarian issue. The solution to this to this problem of having so many poverty-stricken people showing up at the border isn't to just make them all citizens. Because when does that end? You know, we can we can every single time we we there's a story of, all right, my friend from Mexico was out of work. He went to the border, and he now oh look now he's living in America. He's not being deported. I'm going to do the the same thing. When does that end? You know, if you're on the left and you believe there's a better life here in America and that all these people from South America have the right to be here, well, why aren't you encouraging all of South America to come to the United States? Why aren't you encouraging people to to move into your neighborhood? It's not Washington, D.C. or New York that are feeling the problems that come with open borders. It's Texas. And that's, that's what Dan Crenshaw was saying is that you're not paying for that. We are. We are securing the border. We are the ones who are putting up the money for the policing. <sighs> That's a frustrating topic. <laughs> and so the, the last piece of the opening audio, Madison Cawthorn, North Carolina House of Representatives, and he's talking about the Second Amendment because obviously they're, they're trying to push this bill through um, for universal background checks. I think it's H.R. 8. I can't remember. Um I loved what Madison Cawthorn said, not because I think he's some amazing leader. I don't know enough about him to say that he, you know, I'm not going to stick my neck out there and say he's hundred percent legit. There's a lot of stuff going on right now about his past with um, some sexual allegations. So, you know, while we're calling out Cuomo and saying, okay, there's these accusers coming forward, they seem legit. Let's look into it. You got to be fair, right? You got to at least say, well, if there's legitimate accusations that can be substantiated with proof, coming out against Madison Cawthorn or it's if it's Brett Kavanaugh, whoever it is. Women have the right to be heard and taken seriously. I don't agree with Hillary Clinton when she says that you have the right to believe to be believed. Very different ideas there. Um, 
And, and by the way, it's extremely hypocritical for her to say something like that when she flung mud all over the people that were accusing her husband of giving blowies in the White House so, or receiving. I don't know. We don't know. Uh, that, that would be another bombshell to drop. Was he giving or receiving? Anyways, so Madison talking about the uh, Second Amendment and, and daring these Democrats to come and take it, in his words, uh, I loved it. I think it's been too long, whether you agree with him or not, it's too long since we had people in Congress who just said what it was that their constituents believed. And, and that's why I love the House of Representatives, not senators. You get one or two per state. House of Representatives, they, they're representative of their districts. And so it's a much more representative area. So as, as he said in that video, he represents 700,000 plus people. That's not a whole lot of people compared to where in the Senate they're representing states. And I think that's, that's a, it's an important thing to note because that is, there should not be so much unity on along party lines within the House of Representatives, but there is. And that's, that's part of the problem is everything's political it should be much more just scattered because you're representing specific regions of people and we're all different. Same reason why a, uh, uh, a federally mandated minimum wage makes absolutely no sense because it's so expensive to live in California. That's why they're all freaking coming here. I had family that used to live in California and they had just this tiny little apartment. Now they, they live in a house here in Texas and it's, it's different. And so $15 an hour here in Texas is actually, I mean, it's pretty substantial. Whereas in California, I mean, that's what it takes to live. So I, I think that's one of those things that needs to be left to the state, but back to Madison Cawthorn, I, I like seeing these representatives go into Congress and, and dare people to come, to come and silence them because they are directly representing a small group of, or smaller group of people. And that's important. I, I think. Um, this bizarre new photo of governor Andrew Cuomo has the internet flipping out. I wonder what that is. I'll have to look at that later. Uh, sorry, Fox news alert. Oh, one of 500 that happened every day. I like seeing people within Congress paint targets on their own backs, being very specific about what they believe and what they're going to fight for with their voice in Congress. I, I, I love that. I love to see people like Madison Conthorne saying, this is my stance. I'm not going to waver from this. You know, so if, if you don't agree with me, you better hope that my people vote me out of office. But as of right now, this is what they want me to, to do. And daring the opposition to silence them. You know, that's something that hasn't always happened, but we're seeing so much of it lately where people within Congress, you know, if you had a, 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 any sort of a place within the Trump administration or Trump has ever said anything positive about you, these Democrats are trying to silence people in Congress and, and they're not, I've said this before in the podcast, before I move on, they're not trying to silence a person in Congress. They are silencing the people that that person represents. That's very important. And, and, and so in this age of canceling out voices, it's, it's almost like the, the star Wars, star Wars thing where, you know, uh, Oh, what did he say? Um, Strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. That's it. It's if if you start coming against me because you're so afraid of my ideas or my beliefs or my opinions, let's be real about it. It's all it's going to do is 
make those curious minds out there be like, well, why are they so afraid of Madison Cawthorn saying, come and take it? Why are they so afraid of people talking about voter election security or saying, hey, we just want you to bring some form of ID, which, which is free, by the way, just to prove you are who you are so we can believe that our elections are fair. Why, why is that such a radical idea? It's amazing. Um, so I don't need to interpret Madison's words anymore. Uh, I think he said it pretty plainly and perfectly himself. Next, I want to talk about this freshman uh, congressman, Republican congressman from Florida, Byron Donalds, who gave a little, a short, not even a speech, just a statement um, within the Capitol building, I believe, about wearing masks and locking down the Capitol uh, as the, as the, the, Democrats are saying due to COVID. Here, here's his words. Again, this is the uh, Congressman Byron Donalds from Florida. Hey, good evening. Byron Donalds, member of Congress from the great state of Florida, Congressional District 19. And for our friends in the media, I do want to apologize. I actually left my mask in my office. Why do I bring that up? Because it's important that in our capital, we start talking about the things that are real and not the things that are fake. You see, I already had COVID-19. The attending physician in this very capital gave me the antibody test last week. I still have it. I'm not spreading anything. I forgot my mask. The reality is, if you have antibodies, you're actually okay. The other reality is, is that the President of the United States, the Vice President of the United States, the Speaker of the House, have all been inoculated. They have the vaccine, but they still wear their mask anyway. The reason they do this is because Washington is accustomed to fan dances. Washington is accustomed to doing fake things that don't matter. What the media will never tell you is last year, $4.1 trillion was appropriated to battle not only coronavirus, but to get our economy back on track. A trillion dollars of that money still has not been spent. That is an extremely important point. Um, thinking about this new $1.9 trillion stimulus package, oh, not stimulus package. I keep calling it that because that's what they keep calling it. It is not. It is, a, it is an economic relief. Very different. They are not stimulating an already functioning economy. They are compensating people for the fact that they have told you, do not go to work. People have lost their jobs. So it is economic relief, not stimulus. Very important. Maybe I'll do a uh, conservative debrief about that coming forward. But that's an important point where there's all this money still sitting unused from Donald Trump's stimulus packages, and yet they're passing $2 trillion worth of additional spending, of which a very small percentage is even COVID-related. So what are we doing? The new bill doesn't even have a stipulation that this money needs to be spent until 2022. And I want to make it very clear. By 2022, well before... I am done with COVID. My family are receiving their shots. My parents have theirs. My wife got her first one. Um, as soon as it's safe, according to the science, for me to be around my family again, COVID's done for me. And so these people talking about, well, like Biden said the other day in his, finally his first public address saying, you know, we'll see about 4th of July. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> 
I'm seeing so many people on the right, Dan Crenshaw included, saying, you know, I was going to do a small gathering for 4th of July this year, but now I'm feeling a freaking rager coming on. In this bill that we're about to vote on in a couple of hours, only $500 billion goes towards either COVID-19 or money to help the American people. That's it. $1.5 trillion is waste. $1.5 trillion is going to pay for bridges in New York or underground tunnels in California, things that have nothing to do with the coronavirus. One other thing I want to point out is that some of our Democrat colleagues on the other side of the aisle, they know it's wasteful too. But the reason why you're going to see them vote for this bill is because they don't want to have to run for re-election without the support of Nancy Pelosi and the DCCC. You see, that's real. That's what's actually happening up here at Capitol Hill. And my hope is that the Times and the Post and everybody else in the mainstream media actually report those facts. You see, the American people are being taken advantage of in the nation's capital. They will tell us that 70% of the American people support this bill. But if you actually talk to Americans in their everyday life and you tell them that $1.5 trillion will never see their business, never see their pocketbooks, never go to address COVID-19, they would never support a bill like that. And that is why myself and the freshman members of the Republican conference are not going to support this bill either. It is time we speak truth in the nation's capital. It's time we get real in the nation's capital and not support radical, wasteful, wasteful, and fake relief bills like this bill tonight. Thank you. Fantastic. I, I've, I've never uh, heard of this guy. Of course, House of Representatives, there's so many of them that you can't keep up with all the names. But I think he's definitely somebody to watch out for because I, I, I at times I feel like I can somewhat <laughs> pride myself on my ability to sniff out bullshit when people are talking. And and, and I see it on the right and the left, obviously, you know, like I, just calling out Donald Trump Jr. about his his mentioning at CPAC that, that maybe it's TPAC. And the people didn't respond well to that comment. We're going to talk about that on a uh, conservative debrief. I feel like I can listen to what these people are saying and just get a feel for, are they bullshitting me right now? And, and I don't get that vibe from Byron Donalds. I, the vibe I get from him is somebody who's annoyed. I get, I get the vibe that he is not necessarily comfortable in front of a camera, but he feels like he has something important to say. And that's in sharp contrast to the people, again, right and left, who are very comfortable in front of a camera. In fact, they want the camera on them because they believe that their opinions trump the rest of ours, including, at times, Donald Trump. And, of course, Don Jr. Not, I'm not necessarily a fan of Don Jr. I don't know. I follow him on Instagram, and, and, and most of his posts just kind of annoy me. He, he's just one of these sensational characters. He's not a serious person, I don't think. Um, at least he doesn't portray himself to be a very serious person. Anyways. Before I get to a big topic I want to talk about, I want to play some audio from PragerU. This is um, Ricky Gervais talking about freedom of speech, and he just knocks it out of the park. As you know, he, he hosted that Golden Globes, and his last one, he, he called out Hollywood as, well, you need to listen to it because it's amazing. I'll do a conservative debrief on that one for sure. Uh, but listen to him here talking about how censoring freedom of speech is dangerous. It's a really weird thing that there's this new trendy myth that people who 
want free speech, want it to say awful things all the time. This just isn't true. It protects everyone. But the two catastrophic problems with the term hate speech is one, what constitutes hate speech? Everyone disagrees. There is no consensus on what hate speech is. Right? And two, who decides? And there's the real rub. Because obviously the people who think they want to close down um, free speech because it's bad are the fascists. It's a really weird, mixed-up idea that these people hide behind the shield of goodness. We're good. We're good. We're social justice. We're we're doing this for good, and what we say goes. And they don't realise how corrupt and wrong that is. It is mob rule, and I think that's what would compromise the comedy. Not that some people wouldn't love it and get it. It's that the people in charge would be bullied. Let's not forget, there are loads of caveats to free speech already, but I agree with all of them. Libel, slander, watersheds, protection of children's um, uh, rights, food additives, all these these things are already in place. What's not in place and what's never should be in place is that you mustn't say something that someone somewhere might find offensive because someone somewhere will find everything offensive. And as I've said so many times, just because you're offended, it doesn't mean you're right fantastic audio i love that guy obviously many conservatives and evangelicals don't necessarily like his language but holy crap is he extremely um oh not prophetic he's 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 just full of common sense and and i love that about the comedy culture whether you know joe rogan dave chappelle um uh now ricky gervais and there's there's plenty more that i'm obviously blanking on but there is so much truth that comes out of the, a, a, a mind that finds humor in everything. And I think that that's maybe the curse of a comedian. They have to pick, where am I gonna, what, who am I going to make fun of? <laughs> you know, what am I going to shit on today? Wh- whose feelings am I going to hurt today? Because there's something about humor that it, it tears down those mental walls, those blocks you have to logic. We all have them. We all have these biases that we try to ignore at times. We fail miserably most of the time, even now with my podcast. And I listen back sometimes, obviously, to, to listen to the quality of the audio, make sure I didn't like mute myself and then talk for an hour. But I hear back and I'm like, man, that's not really accomplishing my mission of not having bias. That is not really accomplishing this mission statement of trying to be unifying. And, and it's such a, a heavy burden at times to censor yourself. And maybe that's where this this whole freedom of speech issue is an extension of our lack of ability to filter our own minds. And since we can't filter ourselves, we want to feel entitled to say these things and say it however we want to say it. But then we don't extend that same benefit of the doubt to other people saying whatever it is they believe. And we say, oh, you're, you're just racist or you're just um, that, that's unfair or you're, you're greedy or whatever it is. And so that's why I like going to comedians for freedom of speech issue or, or actors, you know, people who can speak not not eloquently, people who can speak plainly and just get an idea across to where it's like you feel stupid for even trying to disagree with them because it, it's just it is a universal truth. It's one of those things that we just all inherently understand and yet we fight so hard to say that it's 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 invalid or 
Um, this is why I agree with it. Like it doesn't need commentary. You can just go on. And so in the spirit of it doesn't need commentary, I'm going to shut the hell up about it and move on. But, uh, there is more audio to that clip. I am going to be doing very soon, hopefully this weekend, uh, a, a conservative debrief about that Ricky Gervais audio, because it's, I think it's so powerful that it deserves extra time. An idea I wanted to talk about today and, uh, got about 20 minutes remaining. Um, it hit me the other day because I've talked of course about how we are somewhat self segregating again, we're kind of seceding in, in, in a sense of commerce, you know, we're not trying to put up a wall, uh, between the North and the South, but what we are doing is we're saying, well, this is what I believe even within a small community, half the community, but might believe this, the other half could believe this. We're picking sides in every situation. And then we're saying, because of which side am I on that I'm on, I'm only going to do business with this type of company, or I'm not going to extend loans to this type of person or this type of business. And so we are self segregating. And, and I guess at this point in history, we're just agreeing with the segregationists. We're agreeing with the people pre-Civil Rights Act. Is that really the right road to go down? And, and, and I have to paraphrase or uh, preface this with, this is purely based off my own perception and opinion. I'm, I'm not, this isn't coming from a news article or anything. This is just some ideas I wanted to get out there. Uh, just, but something that I am, I am, noticing as I'm reading the news or watching the news or whatever it is I'm doing. It seems in a lot of ways that we're just self-segregating all over again. And I, I believe that Martin Luther, of course, MLK Jr., would be ashamed. A lot of progress made during the civil rights period is, is just being completely undone. And the frustrating question for me is why? Why are we doing this? Why are we so offended by each other that we'd rather just not even know that they exist. I was out one night. I have a lot of sleep and sleepless nights and whether I'm working or I've been watching SpongeBob lately while I'm working because it's so completely stupid, but actually pretty freaking hilarious. If you get the chance, it's on Amazon prime. Hilarious. I, I was telling my wife the other day that they set up the joke and the setup is for the kids. And it's like, oh, that's funny. He said that in a funny way. But then the punchline to the joke is, you know, Mr. Krabs or Squidward says there's their funny, snarky comment back. And it's usually some fairly mature humor. And it's freaking hilarious. I love it. Anyways, um, I don't even know. Oh, so I was up super late. We're talking, you know, past midnight. Not super late, but I went for a walk, took the dog out because I just restless mind, whatever. And I'm walking and I realized that after midnight is when the people come around in our apartment complex and are taking out the trash and are, you know, picking trash up from the ground and things like that. Um, it's being specific, picking up a lot of disposed masks on the ground, which is disgusting. And anyways, um, and I realized that if I was one of these people, like most people who went to bed at, let's say nine, nine thirty, I would probably never even know that these people exist. And we really are, as a society, so different from each other at times that there's industries, there are companies and businesses and people who operate a lifestyle that is so separate from ours, so polar opposite 
that while they're living, we're sleeping, and while we're sleeping, they're living. How can we ever understand each other? And I, I don't even know what the answer is to that. It's just an, an idea that crossed my mind. Like, how can I even know what it is you are concerned about as a person if I don't even live in the same world as you? So, so bringing up this idea of se- or segregating again, how? Like, it's not just an arbitrary claim I'm making. I believe there's specific ways that we are segregating all over again. Mainly in that we have rules and guidelines specifically for certain races of people and certain classes, economic classes and wealth classes of people. And then we have a completely different set of rules for people who are not people of color, non-POC people, or whether you're wealthy or poor. Maybe this feels correct to you. Maybe this feels like justice to you. And I can see how on a surface level, reparations seem like a good idea. If you're not sure what reparations are, it's a term that isn't intuitive. What it means is that if you are African-American, you have people in your bloodline, your ancestors, years ago, during or before slavery was ended, you had slaves in your in your family. And so reparations says, well, we need to be making amends for those, those faults back in the 1800s and, and prior by providing monetary relief to people living today. So think about that. People who were never held in slavery, they just have a distant family member who was held in slavery, should receive monetary reparations, which is taking money through taxation from people who earned that money and then giving it to people in the name of saying, hey, sorry for the slavery way back when, which I, by the way, had nothing to do with. My father had nothing to do with. My grandfather had nothing to do with. Maybe even my great-grandfather had nothing to do with. So in the spirit of saying, yeah, I understand that, I, I can see how maybe it sounds like a good idea. Like, yes, there should be some kind of penance, right? I mean, there were actual slaves in our history. Shouldn't there be some sort of payback? And I would say yes, if they were still alive or if people today felt the repercussions of slavery back then. And you could argue in many ways, yeah, sure, there's people, there's still downtrodden communities nowadays that have no economic opportunity. You wouldn't open a business there, so there's no jobs. I get all that. But a lot of that, you could also argue that it's not a, it's not a result of slavery, It's a result of the fact that these communities are so broken and riddled with crime and trash. Like, why would you open a business there? I can go all day on that one. Um, But if you really think about it, this is just another one of those immeasurable criteria that we're receiving now for unity, air quotes, unity, that, that really can never be achieved. Every person in the U.S. literally has had an opinion on this. No, not literally. Anybody concerned about politics and policies in general has probably heard about this argument of reparations. Um, So at what point is this in the past? At what point are reparations no longer owed? Is there a dollar amount that we need to pay? Is there a certain unemployment level that we need to reach? Is there a certain level of black GDP that we need to reach? At what point have we apologized enough? And that is, like I said, one of those immeasurable criteria for unity. It's one of those things that 
you could have 100 people in a room who all agree that reparations are a good thing. But then if you ask them specific questions about, well, how much money should we give to this community? Or how much should every person of a certain heritage or ethnicity, eth- eth- ethnicity <laughs> or you know, national descent, whatever it is, at how, how, what should we, how much money should we give them? What sort of, per, sort of perks or tax credits, or should we just give them a, a new car or a new house, make their apartment free for how, how many years, how many months? It's like the term, the rich. When you say the rich, what does that mean? What dollar sign is attached to this? I saw a CNBC article and, 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 I, and I thought, you know, NBC, they're talking about the rich. So I immediately thought, well, they're going to attack the rich. So I, I skimmed through it real quick. But actually, the direction the article took was the opposite. Where they said, I, th- I think it was one in eight Americans is a millionaire. That the majority of us know a millionaire. I mean, think about that. Now, of course, they are assigning the term millionaire. And I was thankful for their clarification. They're signing it based off of net dollars in your account, but then also assets. If you got a vehicle, okay, how much is that worth? If you got a house, how much is that worth? So it's really easy to, to jump somebody over the line when you're talking about landowners or homeowners or business owners. But the article did take an extremely fair and generous turn in saying that most of these people are not actually rich. They can't just go out and blow money and, and it never make a dent in their bank account. They said in the majority of cases, they are small business owners, which means plenty of assets. You got, you got machinery or you've got a warehouse or you've got a tractor. It's really easy to, to call somebody rich if you're just looking at the value of the things they have. But those trucks or machinery, if you got a fleet of trucks, if you've got um, some pieces of machinery that's manufacturing something that's not cheap, you've got office furniture. All those things hold value, but they're absolutely worthless without a staff, which means you've got to now be an employer. You've got to turn those assets into dollars by put turning them on and having people work them, turning out a product and selling it. So not only are you turning that office furniture or that fleet of vehicles or that machinery into profits, you're turning it into paychecks and obviously into taxes. And that, that is the, the difficult point. And that's why we cater so much. We, we try to foster small businesses and, and business in general through tax relief because every dollar counts when you're trying to hire people. I don't even know how I got down to this point from uh, segregation, but oh, because it's just another arbitrary thing. Um, Another immeasurable criteria for unity. That's how I started down that rabbit hole. And I apologize that I went down another rabbit hole with only less than nine minutes left. So the point that I wanted to make from that, and this is the final point before I get to some good news. I want to compromise. I do. I believe unity on a national level. Now, if we're talking about small communities, sure, let's get specific and let's fight for exactly what we want to happen because it's a small community. But when you're talking from a, from a national standpoint, I want to compromise. I want to be able to say, this is what I want. This is what you want. Can we meet in the middle? And I mean in the middle. Not, hey, if you don't want to be called a domestic terrorist, stop talking about voter election security, you know, 
or voter ID. That's not unity. That's not compromise. I want to walk hand in hand with the left, the ideological left, not the Shiite left, not the radical left. I mean the people on the left, who's, who, the liberals, the people who say, I want to focus on the compassionate side of policymaking. I want to focus on how do we help people with the power of government. I can understand that, um, that, that level of thinking because it does make sense from a human standpoint. But then you also have that, again, that balancing act of not only should we make it easy for people to vote, but we need to make it secure for people to vote so they trust the vote. Both are equally important, but what we're seeing right now, what the left, what the Democrat leaders are making clear right now, is what I must do to unite with them. I'm seeing article after article after article. HuffPo is all over it. Washington Post is all over it. CNN, NBC, they're all over this idea. And speaking of, there's the, the article that brought this about was a Washington Post article titled, Democrats shouldn't wait for Republicans to come to their senses, as if I'm not in my right mind by disagreeing with them. I will not violate my conscience. I will not violate my principles, my deeply held beliefs that this is how I want to live my life and this is how I want to be governed, while we're talking about government at the consent of the governed, right? So the reason why I played that Madison Cawthorn audio is because I think it's important that we all speak our minds and say exactly what it is we believe so we can all operate from, a, from a, a, the same point of understanding of where we're each coming from. You see, if we operate from a standpoint of, well, yeah, I believe this, but I can easily be swayed. If you're willing to compromise over here, I'll compromise here. And playing political games with it, that's not the correct way. It's saying, this is what I believe, and I'm not going to stop believing that. But I understand that something needs to be done. So why don't we work together on this singular issue and both compromise a little bit and then see what happens. Maybe a step towards the right ends up with disastrous results. All right, let's, let's take another step back towards the left and let's, let's establish a new middle ground. But never doing anything and everybody just clinging to their guns, right or left, it, it, it's counterproductive at worst, unproductive at best. Bipartisanship works both ways. Right now, the Democrats feel they... Well, they, they know, they don't feel, they know they have the power. They have both houses of Congress, and if there's a tie, Kamala, Kamala breaks the tie. They have the White House. They're trying to find new ways to make inroads into the justice system to get more Supreme Court justices so that Biden can appoint a bunch. Democrats are requiring concessions from the right while at the same time overreaching from the left. And that's obviously from the opinion of somebody who is more on the right. So, okay, yeah, obviously I feel it's an overreach. You on the left don't believe it is an overreach, but that's the point, right? You don't see it as an overreach. Why would you? I see it as, over, as an overreach. And so then when the Republicans are in power and the left sees an overreach, there should be a hesitation there, and that is why our government is supposed to work slowly, 
not quickly. So we have time to discuss these things and debate in front of a C, of in front of a C-SPAN camera and discuss things within the, the court of public opinions and from the, the news media providing the facts. Nobody's doing their jobs right now because everybody just wants to commentate instead of saying, well, hold up, maybe I'm wrong. Let's look at the facts. And I'm guilty of the same. We all are. So in that same article, they cite a survey that says that the vast majority of voters want this COVID relief bill, this $1.9 trillion stimulus package to give everybody $1,400 checks. But then I got curious because something I've, I've realized from surveys is they can claim the survey makes one point within the article, especially in an opinion piece like this. But if you don't actually read the survey, you're just a slave to their interpretation of the results, right? And I don't want to be a slave to anybody else's interpretation. So I clicked on the little hyperlink. Thank God Washington Post still believes in referencing their points. And in the survey, the way the question was phrased is this, quote, Do you support or oppose the Democrats' $1.9 trillion coronavirus relief package that provides up to $1,400 in direct payments to Americans, making less than $75,000 a year, $350 billion in emergency funding for state and local governments, funding to support K-12 and higher education to reopen, and extends increased unemployment benefits until September 2021. Who doesn't agree with that? Everybody agrees with that, but that's not the point, right? That is like we just saw from, um, oh, what was his name? Byron Donalds. That's what, four, $500 billion of a $2 trillion package? So yes, everybody agrees that we want those things. But what we disagree on was the other $1.4 trillion that went to everything except anything related to coronavirus. And so that is the hypocrisy of the media. They are using facts, deliberately distorting them and twisting them to make their point, to support their own agenda. That's not journalism. That, that, that's, at best, that's deceiving. Of course, we're all in favor of helping everybody out during this time. I'm going to play some audio in a second that's going to say we all really are united and wanting to get the hell out of this situation. But that's not the argument. The direct payments part only covers a very small piece of the $1.9 trillion. And Dan Crenshaw brought up the other day, I saw him speaking, the amount of tax dollars it took to provide $1,400 to each person. It's, it's like $5,000 a person in taxation to afford this bill. So you just gave up $5,000 for the taxes to receive $1,400 back. But of course, not everybody pays taxes. And that's part of the problem. You got a large portion of the population that doesn't pay taxes that receives the benefits of taxation. That's called wealth redistribution. And maybe you think it's good. Maybe you don't think it's good. And, I, and usually your opinion tells you pretty much everything you need to know about where you are um, financially. <laughs> uh, so anyways, the survey itself, I put the, the link in the show notes. It's a long survey. There's a lot of questions that were asked, but if you're kind of curious, it's very telling about um, where the American people stand. So if you read through it, if you, there's a certain topic, well, how do people feel about this? Go into that link, search through the questions. 
there, there's a long list of the questions and it tells you which page the answers are on. So it's, it's, it's very, very interesting. Um, I wanted to get into an article, uh, from uh, Liberty Justice Center, and there's a teacher, uh, Barton Thorne. Um, well, if you want to skip to the end of the, of the podcast and get to the happy news, go for it. I'm going to take this one a little bit longer because this this is important. Uh, from the Liberty Justice Center, again, the, the article's in the show notes. Um, this is Thorne v. Shelby County Board of Education. Uh, I'm going to read you a little bit of the article because th- this is extremely, for me, troubling. Barton Thorne, uh, he's a principal of Cordova High School in Cordova, Tennessee, and he, uh, this is a high school that serves low-income minority students, and for nearly two decades, he's been principal uh, with the Shelby County Schools, and so he's not new to education. He's not somebody just jumping in there trying to make waves and be sensational and, you know, grow his Instagram account. Something that he does as part of his job is he delivers what uh, he calls a principal's minute with a message to his students as part of the announcements. And the messages inspire, quote, inspire, educate, inform, and challenge his high school students with broad themes and life advice from the principal. I think it's great. After January 6th, he said some quotes that people, um, well, you'll see exactly what it led to. He used this teachable moment to talk to his students about the importance of free speech in a democratic society, quoting Principal Thorne. In democracies, we talk about the marketplace of ideas. Well, what happens when the marketplace of ideas becomes a forced monopoly? What happens when you do not have dissenting opinions? You know, dissenting meaning disagreeing opinions. When you do not have an exchange on competing ideas, how do you know if your ideas can stand on their own if there is no marketplace of ideas? And that's something that there is uh, Tom McDonald. I've talked about him. He's a, he's a rapper. He's, a, he's not, not on a record label or anything. He's independent, and he's making huge waves in the industry. Uh, like he's trending everywhere. And one of the things that he said was um, good ideas aren't threatened by other ideas. Good ideas aren't threatened by facts. And that's extremely telling of which side of the argument is trying to silence the other. Quoting again, Principal Thorne, Twitter, Facebook, Google, and Apple are so powerful and they have unilaterally made a decision of what you can and cannot see on their platforms. That's a major issue and I want you to understand that. I want you to understand the problem that's going to face you and your generation if there is no longer a marketplace, a free exchange of ideas. Continuing to quote Mr. Thorne, you may be in agreement with the people who are doing the filtering, but it's just one moment away from somebody else being able to filter you. And so, if they, th- if they can do that to a minority, or if they can do that to a powerful voice, it doesn't have to be a minority. What will stop them one day from doing that to you? Still quoting. So anyway, think about that. Talk to your parents about it. If you trust your teacher, talk to your teacher about it. Be aware. Be in the loop as far as what's going on. And not whether or not you agree or disagree with the people being filtered, but can this happen to you one day? And I think that's why they're attacking this this gentleman, uh, Principal Barton Thorne. Is there's a fear right now in our country of the free exchange of ideas, of good ideas being pitted against other good ideas from opposing viewpoints and, and just discussing. We've lost that, that debate. 
And that scares me. And that's why I bring up this, these, all these ideas of compromise and self-segregation. All of this stems from this idea that there are some ideas that are too dangerous to even entertain anymore. And that's never led history down a, uh, a safe road or a, a road centered on individual freedom. So that was a little sad, <laughs> kind of a sad podcast. Good thing, uh, this, what do we call this? A brain massage. This brain massage, um, comes with a happy ending. An article that made me laugh because it was just so ridiculous. Trump returns to New York city. Media tries to criticize him only having one fan and there's nine protesters. I have a lot of notes about this, but it's completely irrelevant. In reality, all this proves is there's 10 people in New York City with nothing better to do right now. If, you, if you're going to Trump Hotel and, and standing there with a, with a banner saying, I love you, Trump, you're just a sycophant at, at, at that point. Um, so that's about all that article even deserves. The good news, we are united. We are united in, in wanting to defeat this virus. It's just how do we defeat it? It's not being presented that way. It's saying that there are some people that just want people to die. Greg Abbott wants Texans to die. That's bullshit. That's not uniting. What are we united behind? We're united behind our amazing healthcare workers, the people on the front lines who are dealing with this virus face-to-face with this virus and continuing to go to work. My brother is uh, an ER nurse and the stories, I mean, just the things that he's seen, um, it's incredible. And, and, and he, he got recognized locally, um, because his hospital is on, is literally on the front lines of COVID in our city. And he was in the newspaper and they were talking about him and, and he was, and he was telling me privately, he didn't tell this really to a whole lot of people. I don't, I don't think. Um, but the way he, he, he impressed it upon me was that, you know, he doesn't want to be boastful. Like he doesn't want to be taking pride, look at me or anything like that. He's not the type of person. Um, much like me, you know, I got a difficulty just getting behind a microphone and then throw a video on top of that. And I, and I freaking spaz out, but he was telling me it it does feel good to be recognized because I do fear for my health. I fear for my family's health in the midst of this crisis. And I'm, I'm going to work every day. And my job is literally to stare this virus in the eyes. And so he said, it does feel good. And so this is something that I think we are united about. And of course, it's th- it's not what the news media wants to talk about. But here's something. This audio comes out of New York City. And I and had never heard of this, but the New York Times actually put out this little piece. And it's all this audio of what New York sounds like at 7 p.m. every day. So l- listen to this, and then we'll explain it, and then we'll get the hell out of here. It's really cool to see. This tweet says, Nightly clap fest at my building. Tonight they play New York, New York, and everybody made noise. Nothing is more fashionable right now than supporting our medical workers as they fight coronavirus. And I want to read that quote again. Nothing is more fashionable right now than supporting our medical workers as they fight coronavirus. You could almost say nothing is more unifying right now than just saying at least we can agree that we need to support our medical workers. In another tweet here, in a city where the instinct to gather in crowds has been thwarted by the virus, the cheering that began in late March gives people from separate 
windows, terraces, fire escapes, stoops, and rooftops a way to connect. Um, we as a people are not used to being isolated. We're used to be able to say, I'm a little little bored. I think I'm going to go out and I'm going to go to a bar and I'm going to hang out with some people, watch a Spurs game. And I think the saddest part of not only the virus, but of the over-politicization, politicization, I, I hate that word, um, the over-politicizing of everything is that we can no longer just enjoy anything. You know, I can't just enjoy a Spurs game because I got to deal with Greg Popovich and his bullshit about hating Trump and about how Republicans are, are nasty people and racist. I can't even enjoy watching a TV show without realizing that every single TV show feels some compulsive need to make the Christian character into some zealot, some crazy person. We can't just go to these escapes and enjoy them. Everything is filtered through who did you vote for? And I don't think we're going to really return to some sense of normalcy until those things go away. And I don't know if they ever will. Or maybe just as a people, we have to decide to turn it off, which is a lot of what's happening to mainstream news. So before we get out of here, let me impress this upon you. This virus is not forever. It will go away, or at least we will learn how to to control it, how to combat it so where it's not a major risk anymore. But it is never going to go away to the extent that nobody will ever die from it. I don't believe that's going to happen. So that cannot be the standard, because if that's the standard, this is the new normal. We are essentially going to live in fear of this virus for forever. I didn't catch the flu this year. I, I almost always catch the flu once a year, because I hate the flu shot, because it's scary and I'm a baby. Didn't get the flu this year, because guess what? I didn't go anywhere. And when I did go somewhere, I was wearing a mask. But I would still rather risk the flu and I would rather risk the virus as somebody who is not at at extreme risk of succumbing to the virus. I would much rather risk the virus than sacrifice our ability to see each other, sacrifice our ability to gather with each other, to if you've never done it, it's amazing, but just to sit at a bar by yourself back in my single days, go to a bar somewhere, get a beer, the Spurs are playing, I didn't have cable. And then just watch it. And, and when this, when somebody does an amazing dunk or there's a great pass and everybody at the bar goes, oh, everybody felt it at the same time. And we look at each other like, holy crap, I don't know your name, but that was awesome. We don't have that anymore. And that's essential. It's essential to be able to look a stranger in the eye and find a common ground. And we don't have common ground right now. So how do we get back to common ground? We do it with the same way I've tried to end this show every time by being kind to each other by looking for ways to connect and empathize and have compassion and give benefit of the doubt to each other specifically when we disagree and finding those inroads with each other saying yeah we disagree on this but one of us just isn't human if we can't agree on this essential thing like freedom of speech the ability to say what i believe whether you agree with it or not And that's where I'll leave you. Be kind to each other and find those ways to help somebody who needs help, to to bless somebody who needs a little extra in their life. And 
exchange a smile. I, I thought about this the other day when I was at the store. If, if you're outside, you can social distance. You're not at risk of killing a grandma. Pull your mask down, and when you see somebody, just lock eyes and smile. It, 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 it's amazing. It's, it's almost a high when you see somebody, and you can just look at them in the eye and say, hey, or you can say, hey, how's it going? And they say, good, how are you? I'm good. And it's just... I connected with somebody today and that feels good so look for those things look for those opportunities wave at people when you're when you're um, driving and there's somebody coming towards you and, and I'm a people watcher so I happen to lock eyes with a lot of people while I'm driving I don't know if that's normal or not. <laughs> maybe I'm being weird here but um, there's times and, and I'll, I'll just do a little short wave or just give a smile it's like like high school all over again you're just trying to to spread a little bit of happiness or or cheer Christmas magic all year long anyways i'm going crazy so y'all have a good rest of your weekend i apologize for uh releasing this friday debrief on a saturday uh but it was one of those weeks and uh, be on the lookout for the conservative debrief that's going to be coming out i'll be having these single topic videos where i will dive deep into a single topic and explain the facts behind it and find ways that we can unite on those certain issues so take care have a good weekend be safe and enjoy some time with your family and uh, we'll be back next week. What's up point B fans. Thanks for listening to the episode before I let you go really quickly. I wanted to point you again to blackriflecoffee.com. Give them some support. And then you can help the show out by checking out at Cross and Musket on Instagram. Take a look at our t-shirts. Again, everything that you purchase there, it just goes to help making this podcast better, helping us grow, helping us market and spread the word. Uh, Don't forget promo code Insta for 20% off. Speaking of growing and spreading the word, please, we can't do this without you. Give give the podcast a follow on Instagram at PointB underscore cast. And just and watch, keep an eye out for our posts, for our stories. We're, again, we're going to be having those uh, conservative debrief videos coming out, single topic, fact-based fact videos coming out. And uh, I promise I will rehearse and have a better ability to actually use words on those videos. But please uh, share them, like them, comment. Comment is the best way to get found in these uh, crazy search algorithms. And uh, sharing is just the best way to to spread the word. We saw a huge uptick in listens and downloads this past week. So I want to keep that momentum going. Uh, so again, follow the page, share the posts. We're going to be having... Uh, Of course, the new episode posts come out, share those to your story that helps. And then the uh, conservative debrief uh, video episodes that come out to Instagram TV, share those as well and comment and let us know what you think. If you, if you like our points, if you disagree, or if you had a question about a point we made and you'd like us to go a little bit further into it, we can absolutely do that. We'll, we'll put out companion pieces to address those questions. And if, if you really especially if you feel really adamantly that we just got it wrong, send us a DM or uh, email us info at crossandmusket.com and we'll have you on the show. We'll get get you set up on a Skype call or FaceTime and we'll have you on the show and we can talk about it. So again, check us out at Black Rifle Coffee. Check out at Cross and Musket, uh, promo code Insta for 20% off and at point B underscore cast to spread the word. Cheers, guys.